Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. So it's going to be Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 15 to 19. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can do that. If you just want to listen, yeah, that's fine too. Uh, so yeah, in Ephesians 1, right right before uh, the section that we're going to get into, you have uh, verses 3 to 14, and that's this beautiful Jewish-style poem, right? It's praising God for everything that He has done for us in the person of Jesus, right? So, you know, chosen and blessed, a covenant people. Um, but really, there's, there's a sense of invitation, right? Through Jesus, all can enter. There's forgiveness, there's grace, there's everything coming under the reign and the power of Christ. Where once there was this great division, there's now Jew and Gentile together in one family, one people of God, done by the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And so we have Paul outlining that, and you hear his excitement, and then we, and then we enter our text. And, uh, so 1.15, let me just read it. It says, For this reason, Paul speaking, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you are called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? So just, just starting with verse 15, right? For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love towards all the saints. So he just finished painting this large sweep of God's plan, right? This is how God has been working in history. And then he turns to talk about the lives of his readers. And, and he's telling his readers of his unceasing gratitude to God for the good news that he's received about them. And this is what it is. He hears of their faithfulness. Um, their faith is not something shallow. It's not something ineffective, but their faith is something that is actively changing them. I mean, actively changing where they are. It's something living. It's something growing. Their faith is something overflowing and manifesting itself in love towards all the saints, right? And so much so it's not something that they have to advertise. It's not like they put up billboards saying, hey, this is who we are. But this is something that is known to Paul. Um, Jesus is going to say that a tree is known by their fruit. And these churches are producing something beautiful and good and seen. It's something visible. It's something self-evident. And Paul's just expressing his gratefulness. And he's encouraged by this fruit that they're obviously producing. And so because there's a lot of confusion just about this word faith, uh, I, I think it's maybe worth just spending a minute or two on it, right? What do we mean by faith here? And so biblically, it seems like faith can mean, um, mean two things. So it can mean like a time of choice, right? Where we choose to put our faith in something, or we choose to trust something. So it can mean that, like that moment in time, but it can also mean a series of choices. It can also mean this continual walking forward, this continual exploring, this continual living out of that choice, right? Like a living faith or a living trust. So faith can refer to the moment, but it can also refer to this process of continued decisions, this day by day walking forward in that. And I think it's also important that faith is not something that stands 
on its own, right? But faith is always connected to something. So you can't, you cannot have faith in faith. Or you can't have faith for the sake of faith. And just by way of example, it works the same thing with hope, right? You don't, you don't hope in hope. You hope in something. Or you, you have hope because of some reason. I mean, you, you can't hope in hope. Hope needs an object. And I think the same is true about faith. Faith needs an object. It needs something to trust in, someone to trust in. It means something to have faith in. Um, and so let's say we're going we're gonna to talk about skating, okay? It's the middle of the summer. We're going to talk about skating. If you were to go out skating on a pond, you have faith that, or you have faith in the fact that the ice will hold you up, right? And so you're trusting this for a number of reasons, right? You have your sensory experience. You're like, yes, it's cold outside. You have the testimony of someone who's checked the ice. And you're like, okay, I believe you. And then you have the prior experience of skating. But in this case, faith is not this blind leap. Um, faith is not this magic spell that makes the water hard. Faith is trust in something or trust in someone. Um, no amount of faith, if you go outside and you go to go skating right now, no amount of faith is going to keep you from getting wet, right? It's, it's not a matter of how much you believe something. Faith is not this uh, magic word. Faith is not this magic spell, but faith is about who you are trusting in or where is your faith placed. And then is the source for that trust, is that reliable? So just zooming out um, to the verse and the fact that their faith is made known, I think there's a question that sits on me in here, right? And that's the question of, of what are we what are we known for? This church was known for something. Their fruit was obvious. And I guess the question that kind of, yeah, that sits on me is, are we producing fruit that is evidently beautiful to those who see it? I mean, uh, wouldn't it be something worth striving for to have people say this about us, right? Not for our sake, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. But wouldn't this be something to have people say, you know, we have heard of their faith, their faith is something real. Their faith is something powerful and beautiful and life-changing. That Jesus, Jesus, they worship. Um, he must be. He must be amazing. You know, maybe I don't know him, but he must be amazing because there's something here that I can taste. There's something here that I can see. Uh, the Jesus they worship must be amazing. Um, so these these church communities, they're they're walking forward and exploring their relationship with Jesus. They're producing beautiful fruit that's obvious to those around them, right? And beautiful things are coming because of this. Darkness is pushed back. The kingdom of God is coming in these places. They're living as a redeemed community. New Jerusalem, in the middle of fallen Babylon. And then 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so Paul is essentially saying, he's assuring them of his constant prayer for them. And, uh, and then in verse 17, we find out the details of what exactly Paul is praying for them. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time. And he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I think it's fair to say that he sees this as paramount importance, as of in paramount importance, that the readers may be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Prayer is offered that those things that he talked about in that first section, which we didn't read, but the things that he talked about, would these things be realized in their experience? Would they experience this theology that he mentioned and that he covered in the first verses 
all of these words that he mentioned, like sanctification and justification, and the reference to the plan of God with all of these things find their expression in their immediate experience. His prayer is that they would comprehend what God has already done for them in Christ, right? God has already blessed them in Christ. And so Paul, when he's praying, he's praying, would your eyes be open to what has been done for you? Would you fully grasp the implication of all of these blessings, all of these things that are yours? Would you know them in the biblical sense of no, not just this like you know them factually, but would you know and experience and walk forward in them? Would all of this theology become experiential as they walk in it, right? So would they reflect on their identity and their value? And then would that affect how they walk out day to day, right? Knowing, would they know God's love and God's blessing that just sits on them and follows them? And then would that affect the way that they talk with each other and uh, interact with people outside of the church? Would they embrace God's purpose for them? Would they know their forgiveness? Would they know their redemption? Would they have an understanding of how God has been working to call them to himself? To call a broken and hurting world back into relationship with himself? And just would that story, and would their place in that story, would it sink in? Would all of these realities, these things that they have, would it sink in? Would it become something that changes them? Would it become something that they walk out? Um, and I picture it almost like this, right? It's almost like they're on a luxury cruise, okay? So it's an all-inclusive luxury cruise. And so they're, they're, they made it onto the boat, and so they're on the boat, but they're kind of like hanging out in the back part of the deck, and they're getting hungry, so they kind of like look around, and they pull out a box of Triscuits, not no-name brand crackers, Triscuits, but, and they pull out some peanut butter, and like this is their plan. They're going to eat peanut butter and crackers for the entire week that they're on this cruise. And so, yes, they get to enjoy some of it, right? They're on, on the cruise, but they're eating peanut butter and crackers, and, and that's foolish because this luxury cruise has an all-you-can-eat buffet, right? They don't need to be eating. I like peanut butter and crackers, but they don't need to be eating peanut butter and crackers all week. There's so much more for them than what they're using. So what they... Yeah, this is what they don't know. There's, there's so much more that they could be using. There's so much more that they could be walking into. There's so much more that they have. And this is Paul's prayer, essentially, is would they grow in their experience of everything that is already theirs in Christ? He's praying, would they step forward into the benefits of everything that they have already received? Would they enjoy the buffet? Would they enjoy everything that came with that ticket. And there's, uh, there's a danger in the, the ways that we sometimes do church. I mean, surprise, this is, the, this is the trouble with having to make sure that our hearts are in the right place, right? It turns out that humans, um, we can even pervert going to church. We can even take worshiping God and even turn that into something selfish. But the, the danger that's implied, one of the dangers that's implied in this text is that it's possible to know a lot of theology, intellectually, but for most of that theology to not become practical, right? So maybe we, and I'm saying this, you know, inclusive, we, maybe we can name all these attributes of God, but maybe we can't really tell you the names of our neighbors, or who they are, or much less what they're struggling with, because we don't really interact with them, we don't really know them. 
You know, maybe we can talk a lot about community and family and love and togetherness and how people will know us by our love. Maybe we can say those words a lot um, and know that that's something close to the heart of God, but maybe we're surrounded by lonely people that we don't see or we don't think about it, that don't cross our minds just because we're not looking for it or we're not aware. You know, we can talk about truth, but maybe we find ourselves mired in our own echo chambers, just defensive of our points of view. We can talk a lot about justice, but maybe we never take any concrete steps towards seeing it come. And my point here is not to shame us, right? And I'm saying us, it's all of us together. Uh, my point is not to shame us, but my point is to say we, at least scripturally, we are on this cruise, right? Let's seize hold of everything that Christ has provided for us. And as we do that, let's become more like Jesus. So let's have our theology become incarnated. Let's have our theology become something supremely practical by the power of God, walking in the Spirit. Would we know the names of our neighbors? Would we know what they're struggling with? Would we truly love them? Would that love flow out from us so that we can come alongside and we can be with and we can uh, we can love, we can help? Um, would we be a people who are especially aware of the lonely and the broken hearted around us, especially aware and conscious of how we can invite and meet with them and, and draw people into community. Let us be a people who are willing to engage and question and search for what is true and real with humility, honestly looking for, for real answers, not just defending what we think. Let us be a people who take active steps towards seeing our world become a place of justice and mercy, active steps towards seeing Carlton Place and the surrounding area become a place of justice mercy. And so in, in terms of verses, we, we just want to stop there. Um, but I think that we want to be praying these same things covered in, in just those couple verses. I think we want to be praying those same things over us, right? Would our theology become something immensely practical? And would our lives fill with obvious fruit because of it? And just as these things happen, um, would we become more like the person of Jesus? And I just want to share one more thought, and then we'll kind of close. And that final thought that I want to share is just related to the question of, okay, well, how do we how do we make this happen, right? How do we... And in a sense, it's actually not something that we make happen. I want to take the emphasis off of the, that word make, right? This is not a matter of just doing more. I think that this starts, I think this is primarily a matter of the heart, and I think it has to start there, right? So I think this is how, I think this is kind of the order in which it goes. I think it's first a matter of praying, right? We pray, Jesus, would you take, and would you transform our hearts, and would you make our hearts to love what you love and to hate what you hate? And then after, after that point of praying, it's probably, you come to this point of surrendering, right? Jesus, we have all these ideas, we have all these thoughts, we have all these desires. Yeah. Uh, would you take our ideas, would you take our plans, and would you let only what is of you remain? Um, and then finally, as our, as our hearts and minds are transformed, I think we just, we simply follow them to their logical conclusions, right? As we become attuned and we see the needs, then we work to answer those needs and we do what we can and we pray, Jesus, would you just take the work of our hands and would you bring your kingdom here in Carlton Place? And here in this area, would your kingdom come? 
and we, we follow our renewed hearts and minds into what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. And uh, so just as we reach the end of these thoughts, uh, I just want to pray those things over us. So you can pray along with me if you like, but I, I think I'd leave you with uh, Jesus is calling us to experience this buffet, right? Everything that is that is available to us. He's inviting us to experience everything that he has for us. And I mean, this is true if we're inside the church, right? We're following Jesus. He's calling us into more. He's inviting us into more. He's calling us to enjoy the buffet. And I think this is true if we find ourselves outside of the church as well, right? Maybe we don't follow Jesus yet. Um, but if that's you, Jesus, that, that call that call is for you to come, get on the cruise first, and then enjoy everything that is available to you. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.